1: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in.
2: Thanks very much, Carl and Sarah. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Dominic Chewin for Scott Wapner today. Front and center this hour. Is the market at a critical turning point as the NASDAQ looks to hand in its first week of back-to-back losses this year? Our investment committee is standing by to help you navigate through all of this. So joining us for the hour, Shannon Sakosha also Carrie Firestone, with me on set here at Post 9 at the Stock Exchange, Steve Weiss and Bill Baruch. So let's get a check on the market right now. As Sarah just pointed out in this past hour, we have seen a bit of a decline and a loss of momentum in the market overall. Uh, Steve, this is one of those situations where over the last couple of weeks, There have been folks who said, you know what, the the market's been hot so far this year. It's due for maybe at least a bit of a breather. Is the problem right now this idea that there is no near-term catalyst to propel things back towards the upside?
3: Yeah, but I think you could argue there were no near-term catalysts to propel it to the upside for the beginning of the year. As a matter of fact, there were negative catalysts that should have propelled it downward with the tightening. Uh, that we're still going through and may pause at the next Fed meeting in September. So I don't think it's necessary catalyst. The market was very tough to figure out all year. This is the easiest part of the market to figure out because it had such a big run. You're in the dog days of summer. Volume is lighter. And it's typically when the market takes a breather, particularly after such a big run. So I don't think you can draw anything from the direction. But I will say one thing. I'm so tired of hearing about the 50-day moving average. Hearing about it every 10, 15 minutes, it means nothing. It may mean some short-term technical trades, but fundamental, Investors, it just means nothing. So let's stop with the 50-day moving average already. But, but, okay? but,
2: but, Steve, folks are using levels like that to figure out if they were if It's they a talking to get point. long. It's a talking point. And if they were looking for a pullback to a certain right. level to say, hey, let's catalyze our call to action and say I want to step in and buy more on sale, sometimes people use those moving
3: averages. Yeah, it's, it's a single-factor model. Sometimes the, no some people do, and it's a smaller segment of the market. It's mostly algos. There are some technical traders. I do look at technicals, but if I see a stock particularly cheap, I'm not going to say, wait, i got to see if this breaks the 50-day moving average. I can't think of anything more inane than that.
2: But now, Bill, there's there's also a positioning factor right now at play. I, I know that you watch a lot in the derivatives markets. You check out what's happening with futures, how traders are positioned long or short futures markets, options contracts. Is there anything that you're gleaning right now with regard to whether or not there's a momentum shifting around in the marketplace? Is the bias now towards the upside or the downside based upon how you're seeing things play out in places like the futures market?
1: Well, I I think the bias is for healthy consolidation. And and respectfully though, I I do disagree. There was a catalyst to start the year and it was the underpositioning. It was the negativity that that was there. And, And the fact that earnings were really, you know, they were pricing in the trough that was here to come. And, and I think that now it's the total opposite. Everybody has really sort of bought into this, into this rally, put money to work, June, July seasonality. And then as you mentioned, this is the dog days of summer. And, and now we're seeing this consolidation. This is a healthy consolidation. You know, we, we were saying maybe a 5% pullback in the S&P if it happens as early as August. And here we are, I mean, it's about 4% right now. So, it's moving into the 50-day moving average, and uh, you know it, this is this is this is healthy though. I'm looking at this as being very healthy right now.
2: As Carl points out, I mean, we're and Mike Santoli as well, we're we're, we're not that far away from that price, and it's not that this is one factor that's going to dictate the entire direction of the market, but it's a milestone. It's a, it's a marker along the way that people kind of look at. Carrie uh, uh, Firestone, I'd like to bring you into the conversation right now as well. As you look at the way things, you know, Steve brought up this idea that fundamentals are an important part of the picture as to why the markets are trading the way that they are. Do you feel as though some of the fundamentals that, have, that we've seen at least this so far this earnings season have justified the valuations at current levels? Or do you feel as though this particular part of the market maybe is due for the pause because the fundamentals are just about where they should be, where prices are in the marketplace right now?
4: Sure. Thanks, Dom. Uh, I think that what Bill said is is absolutely true. The the market was cheap. It was down uh, at its low for the S and P in October and December. Twenty eighth or so was the bottom for the Nasdaq. Remember that the stocks that we're talking about, the mega cap names, were up between 36 and 48% on average, you know. But you had names like Meta up 100. It's still up 150%. They were cheap stocks. These stocks got crushed during 2022. They deserved to go higher. Now that they've gone higher and people have piled into them because with with so much market cap available, it's easy to buy these stocks. They're well-known names. So they perhaps have gotten a little ahead of themselves, but if you look at you know, Alphabet, for example, it's below a market multiple. I mean, these have not been such fantastic stocks that you say, oh my God, they're 75 times earnings. So we think a pause is healthy because the rest of the market is up single digits. If you look at sectors other than consumer discretionary, technology and communication services, that are all up, you know, in that 40 percent range, you're you're really talking about the rest of the market up low single digits. And if the rest of the market starts to show earnings that can sustain multiples in the 15 to 20 range, and they should if the earnings start to improve and we don't have a recession, then I think we can see more growth in the market after we've had this pause, maybe a month or two. I mean, the market is still only 7 percent from its all time high right now.
2: All right, so, so Shannon, there's been a dynamic that, that maybe Steve, also Bill and, and Kerry just alluded to, this idea that there's a consolidation happening right now. What does the consolidation look like to you? Because we're seeing signs that there are traders and investors who are in essence maybe mini-rotating if you want, right? Out of names in technology and into places like energy and healthcare. Is this the beginning of at least a bit of a mean reversion trade back towards some of those quote unquote value parts of the market?
5: Well, Dom, it's nice to see you. I think one of the things that you have to remember is that coming into this year, those two sectors that you just mentioned, energy and healthcare, were tops on the list for many investors in terms of which sectors they thought were going to outperform this year. Um, And clearly we haven't experienced that. And so I think, you know, number one, just looking at it from a portfolio construction standpoint, taking some gains off the table, to Carrie's point, there has been um, significant money made in, you know, this top 7, 10, 15, Stocks, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I think that that rotation makes sense. In terms of energy, certainly the economic environment is supportive of a rotation back into energy stocks, and I think that's what you're seeing there. And with healthcare, there are a number of different facets of healthcare, whether it's managed care, drugs, or disposables. Healthcare is a very wide varied sector. We talked about this, you know, regarding industrials earlier this week, but it's true for healthcare as well. So there's a lot of different places to play in healthcare and a number of those have not participated. And so if you're thinking about just from an overall risk standpoint, taking some of your winners off the table, taking some of those gains and reallocating to places where if we do experience a broadening out, there is relative value from a multiple perspective it's easier to find in those sectors like energy and healthcare than it is in other parts of technology, for instance.
2: Steve, Steve, do you feel as though, after seeing what we saw with the consumer price index data, Mm -hmm. and then what we saw with the producer price index data, so retail and business level inflation, do we feel as though, I mean, there's no such thing as an all clear in the market, but do we feel as though the macro picture is stable enough right now where people can feel good about where they are in the market as opposed to fearing for a a, a surge in inflation again and higher interest rates on the back of that and everything
3: else? No, I I think there was something for bulls and bears in the numbers. Firstly, you had a revision, so it was a little hotter, this report, but when you factor in the revision downward from last month, you're basically hitting consensus, right? And you've got to look at it on an average basis. Clearly, inflation has come down quite a bit, but you still have services inflation which is being very stubborn and i don't think you look at the market in just isolation you know as we talked earlier the week you've got credit card balances credit card debt that's going a lot higher so our economy is driven by the consumer it's plain and simple two thirds of it that's true of most economies right so so i think you can have comfort i don't i don't see a deep dark recession but you've also had some little dents in the uh, in the goldilocks scenario where you're trying to thread you know, all the Fed tightening with a soft landing and what set up for that, as Bill talked about, what got you to these levels, which, by the way, just to correct something you said, interpreting what I said. Market didn't get where it is on fundamentals. Okay, it got where it is on momentum. And it's coming back now. Momentum's reversing. So, so no, I, I think you'd take as much comfort today as you took yesterday if you're a bull and as, le- as little comfort today as you took yesterday if you're a bear. So it's still, and that's what makes markets.
2: Now, Shannon, uh, one of the things that we, you know, Steve brings up an interesting point with regard to some of the drivers behind the inflationary story right now. He, he mentions the services side of things. One of the other parts that gets a lot of attention right now is, is housing, uh, property values, owner equivalent rents. The, basically, the cost of living from a housing and real estate perspective remains stubbornly high right now and hasn't really Pulled back to a certain degree that can kind of aid that inflationary story. The housing market as a part of the overall stock market has been a momentum trade for various parts of the year. Do you think that that housing story is in a consolidation or transition phase as well right now?
5: housing is a very challenging area in that longer term and this is not actually dissimilar to energy but longer term there's a there's clearly an undersupply uh, particularly for residential housing here in the United States and so on the back of that sort of secular trend of and, and inclusive of the fact that Millennials are beginning to accelerate household formation as they move past the student loan payment part of their financial life cycle there you know there are going to be fits and starts in the housing story um, this constant give and take if you will, as it relates to supply, is um, offset, particularly in this environment, by the challenge of affordability. And so if we look at the housing market, what we really need to see is we really need to see um, a reset of expectations in terms of affordability and mortgage rates going forward, which probably means, to be honest, that we need to see expectations for rates to come down, at least modestly, um, in order to increase that affordability. Uh, But I think, you know, as it relates to housing, there's a mobility aspect of this that remains somewhat unclear. If you're thinking about, yes, we're building houses, and who's buying those houses? it in many cases is going to have to be new entrants into the housing market, not existing home buyers because they are anchored to very low mortgage rates. And so I think trying to figure out, you know, specifically where this housing growth is going to come from, how these companies are going to be able to monetize that and what types of customers and clients this, you know, going after, you know, sort of with some of the high end homes, for instance, where you would be required to sell an existing property and move into that. Mortgage rates are very prohibitive right now to be able to support an en masse trade.
3: All right, so, so uh, yes. What, what drives the economy typically are housing and auto sales, two major pillars of the economy. We heard about housing, but you know, auto sales, uh, used car prices are showing some decline. So if you go to trade in your smart car, right? Your cute little smart oh, yeah, car yeah, that yeah, you yeah, own. Yeah. That's what I, that's what or, I or your wife goes to sell her uh, Ferrari, you know, the Ferrari will hold a price because it's luxury, but your cute little car, you're going to get less for it. So that's a positive for inflation, but you've got to get through services
2: inflation. Oh, okay, so, so Bill, here, here's what I want to say. We have talked about some of the ideas that there are maybe some fissures or cracks that are developing right now. Nothing panicky or, 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 or nefarious. But... I'm curious about the momentum side as you see things specifically in technology because you did make some moves in, in, in your trading side of things. We had talked about this idea that you had some hedges on yeah. against your triple Q's position against the NASDAQ 100. Yep. Can you take us through what you did and why? Yeah,
1: leading up to the end of July, we, I was talking about looking at this, this summer doldrums. You know, we're going to go through this seasonality. So we just got We got ahead of it. At the end of July, we raised cash. We've been on the show a couple times talking about it. We raised about 10% cash um, netted. And so ultimately, when we did that, it was, it was some of the big tech names we, we sliced off. I mean, we cut totally like a Tesla and an AMD. Uh, but in doing that, it was netting 10 percent because we also added um, sh- to Chevron, added to Pioneer, uh, opened Amgen as a new as a new position. Uh, recently, you know, so others. So it's been a bit of rotation that that we've done. Uh, and, but there's still cash now. So now we, the market's kind of s- sold off. Uh, I'm looking at it as as an opportunity to go shopping. Um, but but it, but I want to be patient here. I think it's important to be patient in this environment because right now every rally is just getting slammed. It seems like a liquidity event every time this market rallies a bit, people are selling into it. And the way I looked at the QQQs as the puts as as, as protection last year, we would do a one to one and a half percent position sizing on, on puts. We were in a downtrend. I was looking to really really cover the move to the downside. This we're in an uptrend. I, I would this put position was more of a forty basis put position. Just, so, and just to be
2: clear, you. You, you basically own the queues and then owned puts on the cues. No, we,
1: we own the stocks. We own we individual stocks. But you then bought the puts on the cues. On the queues, yes, because we did raise cash, but going prior to the raising cash, we, st- we had a 50% position in tech. So we raised about 10% cash, you know, called it 40%, 35% in, in tech still. That was my fear, is that if the market starts to sell off, it's going to be tech leading the way to the downside, some liquidity there. Um, and, and having that as a cushion, the 40 basis point um, put position, is just a Cushion to kind of digest this because we're going to have inflation numbers, we're going to have jobs numbers, and and as we look at this, these numbers that have come out, I mean. Inflation is cooling, but it's supposed to cool. We couldn't rally yesterday or hold the rally yesterday. We rallied. The market ended up slamming down. I cut these puts uh, earlier in the week because it, it did what I wanted. It cushioned this, this move here. So I think we can go through a bottoming process uh, as the market kind of digests things. But it shows you how fickle the market is when you get a PPI number today that was that was still pretty hot. I mean, it, it, but the thing is about that PPI, the market reacted to that, but it didn't really, it d- couldn't hold the rally to a, a, a softer CPI. But, but the producers, these producer prices, Prices, who are the producers? They are they are the public companies, basically. So these this this uptick it was pretty much disinflationary up until today. Disinflationary means these margins therefore these companies are going to be squeezing lower. So this is actually I think good news to see the, a little bit of an uptick in PPI while CPI is still sort of trending lower. Um, you know, and then and then we get Michigan consumer data today. I thought it was was a terrific read. It came in at 3.3% as inflation expectations. And Fed Chair Powell has talked about it over and over and over again that inflation uh, expectations are a self-fulfilling prophecy. If, if, it, if people think inflation is going to go higher,
2: then we're going to, we're going to, it's, going to, it's going to rise. All right, and Kerry, and one more word to you before we kind of accelerate this conversation. The, the tech trade that, that we've been talking about right now, do you feel from a fundamental analyst standpoint that the technology trade is still worth buying at these levels even with the pullback and perhaps what would argue elevated valuations?
4: I think it depends, Dom. Um, you know, if you look across the landscape, you can find names that are selling for under the market multiple with strong growth prospects over the next couple of years. If, you know, the chip cycle has been very hot and continues to be. Now, Nvidia is an expensive stock. It's coming down. There's a price at which people might want to buy it. Um, AMD, same thing. There are component companies. There are other uh, technologies very broad as a sector. So I, I'm not suggesting that it's all oversold uh, over, but some of it is. Some of it, it's expensive. But I, I think it's important to stay uh, committed to the names that we don't think are very expensive, and for, and look for some ideas that might be coming less expensive right now.
3: You right. mentioned trade. I'd yeah. say no, it's not a trade now, right? There could still be some weakness. That it's pretty much imbalanced, so it's coin toss as an investment. To Carrie's point, I think you pick up the ones that are reasonably priced. Not to say there's not more downside, but if you're investing, you can't pick the bottom. Or just leg in in dollar cost average. Exactly right. In.
2: All right. So sticking with that technology trade, guys, the NASDAQ 100 is breaking below that key kind of technical level this week, and that could mean more downside ahead, according to our next guest. So let's bring a guy who watches the charts. It's Jonathan Krinsky, the chief market technician over at BTIG. You see all of these things. You see all of these charts and all of these lines and levels. Take us through why you think there could be could be hypothetically danger ahead, Jonathan.
6: Hey, hey Dom. So, you know, there's obviously you guys have been talking about some of the moving averages. For us, moving averages are more a gauge of, of trend. And so, you know, the fact that we broke under the 50-day moving average, there could be some some issues there, but that's not the, the key reason that concerns us here. Um, the two the two key reasons are the first is this volume profile that we talk about. Most people look at volume on a time series, so how much volume trades on any given day, uh, but we like to look at it on a uh, on a price basis, so how much volume trades at each given price level over the last three years. And um, basically, what we've found is that around this 369-370 level on the triple Qs is a significant amount of volume is traded over the last three years. So the fact that we broke below that, what we call a volume shelf, opens up a downside volume pocket. And the issue is we accelerated so quickly on the upside from late April when the queues were around 320. We rallied about 16% from late April into, um, late, late into mid-June when the queues were around 370. So that quick move on the upside can often be uh, unwound on the downside, And that's really the issue. There's there's that significant volume pocket. Now, the other issue is is momentum. And from uh, a weekly standpoint, if you look at weekly MACD on all the major tech ETFs, specifically the XLK, which is the major tech ETF, we're now flipping to a sell signal um, from positive territory. That's the first time we've had a weekly sell signal like that since the first week uh, since the mid January 2022 when that bear market started. So. You know, you have momentum waning, starting to roll over and a pretty significant um, break of, of what we consider key support. So, um, you know, all that suggests there is some downside risk ahead to us in the Nasdaq.
2: So, so Jonathan, we've made a lot and talked a lot about this idea that uh, certain parts of the technology trade have been more impacted from a downside momentum standpoint than others. You highlight the semiconductors. I wonder if there are other places in the market that you're watching right now that are starting to show signs of deterioration or or, or perhaps a pickup, if you will, even if there is such a case. Uh, Is it in places like, say, cloud computing or software or cybersecurity or or fintech or or the multitude of other different places? Because we know that tech is such a broad kind of umbrella to cover all these industries under.
6: Yeah, I mean, I think clearly semiconductors are are at the heart of of some of the downside momentum, they were kind of the leaders on the upside. But you know, the, the way tech has traded really for the last two years, it is pretty broad based You can maybe differentiate the fang names from some of the smaller cap tech names, but um, you know, it's pretty broad based Some of the some of the sell signals we're seeing. Uh, so I think semis are vulnerable, software is probably vulnerable. Um, and then after you kind of get that that shakeout pullback, that's when you can kind of differentiate and start to see some relative strength from you know from that pullback. Um, Now, I will say on the flip side, there is some positive momentum that we're starting to see um, in the commodity space. Energy obviously has been a leadership area over the last few weeks. So while tech is seeing weekly MACD sell signals, energy is actually seeing a weekly MACD buy signal. So we like uh, energy versus tech here. Um, We've been talking about
2: that for the last few weeks, and it probably has some more legs here. All right. Energy versus tech is the pairs. That's the call from Jonathan Kriske over at BGIG. Thank you so much, sir. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Tom. All right. So if tech is rolling over, where do you want to be? We just heard from Jonathan Krinsky saying that energy is showing some signs of life. But Bill Baruch is rotating, though, into an industrial name. So let's take us through the uh, conversation here, Bill. What industrial and why?
1: Yeah, we added Caterpillar this week. Um, the day actually cut out of the Nasdaq puts. Um, you know, Caterpillar... I, I like where they are. I mean, they're across the scope of industrials, you know, from construction to mining, to energy, to, to rails and, and marine. I mean, they're all over the place. I mean, they're the heart of, of the They're the quintessential industrial company. And we didn't own them. Um, so I, I think they had a terrific, honestly, probably one of the top couple earnings reports this, this earnings season. And they broke out to a new record high after that. It's just consolidated really nice there after a couple of days uh, post-report. Um, and we need, and this this just goes with the theme of rotating. Where are we going to look for outperformance this year? If, if tech's not going to be up forty percent in the second half of the year, where are we going to go? And, I'm, and, and I've been talking about industrials, healthcare, and energy. Now, now listen to to, to put myself in a position here. Um, industrial company that we do own is Mass Tech. I've talked about it on the show a couple of times. I call myself out on it. Um, they set a record high last Thursday, and then Friday they reported earnings. They were down twenty percent, delayed in contracts. They're an infrastructure company that I still really, really like, um, but. If, if I need to have exposure to in industrials right now, from a positioning standpoint, and MassTech's not gonna do it for me the next couple of weeks or next couple of months, I need to find it, get it from somewhere else, and Caterpillar's gonna be that spot.
2: Kerry, uh, from a stock picker's perspective, are there places that you would be looking to get into uh, outside of technology, you know, elsewhere in the marketplace? Are there compelling values in your mind?
4: Oops, sorry, sorry about that. Um, I hope you can still see me. It's it's true that technology, if it takes a pause, which it seems to be doing, should mean that we go to other places. Healthcare is one. Industrials. I think Caterpillar is interesting, other than it's at an all-time high. We own a company, Fortive, which did nothing for quite a while. It's a um, I would say a um, um, a a mini conglomerate of very interesting instrumentation and healthcare um, and technology within. One industrial company, and that stock is finally breaking out. It it really it looks similar to the Caterpillar um, chart today. Healthcare. Uh, we we think that United Healthcare is interesting here. It, it's not been a great stock recently, but we know that we're three and a half percent unemployment. Those people need insurance, and this is a, a fantastic, great cash-flowing company that sells for a market multiple. In financials, how about a name like Charles Schwab? I mean, this Charles Schwab has suffered from being a San Francisco-based financial company. And meanwhile, it's traded at a very low multiple and showing a lot of good momentum and organic growth. Charter Communications, again, you know, it's a a, a low-teen multiple stock on next year's numbers. Uh, it's started to move. It's up about 20 percent from its bottom recently, but uh, has had you know, a, a tough time getting there. So those are a few names. And there's definitely parts of the market and stocks that you know, we could find to buy here.
2: OK. And, and Shannon, uh, we'll give you the, the last word here before we head out to break. Uh, you know, is this idea here of a rotation making anything seem at least part of the market seem any more attractive to you on a relative basis versus others?
5: Well, I think one of the things that our team really focuses on, Dom, is um, high earnings visibility, high quality, and lower beta. And so I think this rotation is moving closer into some of the areas of the market, in particular industries that are represented by those, those categories. And so, you know, some of the areas, food and staples, retailing, telecom, uh, I think that we have been uh, notably... Um, somewhat cautious this year um, as it relates. And and again, if you look at what's going to drive the next year or so, um, we would have said coming into this year that multiple expansion was not going to drive the market. And we've certainly seen that. And so again, going back to strong earnings and companies with strong earnings and high earnings visibility going into next year, um, that is really where we're targeting, you know, in terms of our interest.
2: Shannon, do you see any of those? Are are there any industry groups that stand out given those characteristics that you were just talking about?
5: Well, I, I mean, we've talked a lot about healthcare, Dom, and so I don't want to beat a dead horse, um, but I'll beat a half-dead horse there. Um, I think that that's certainly an area that we're interested in, um, an area where I think a lot of emphasis has been placed elsewhere. Is is something uh, like REITs, for instance, because I think there's been a concern um, about office uh, real estate, CRE in particular, and I think you know they probably deserve another look. Um, and personal products, if you're um, if you're thinking about an, an area of the market that perhaps has been bypassed for uh, some some more discretionary uh, areas of the consumer space. Um, gotcha. I think the personal products is an area that probably makes some sense.
2: All right. Shannon, thank you guys very much. We're going to take a break right now. Coming up next, a bullish call on one big oil stock saying shares could rise 30 percent from here. Bill Baruch actually owns that chart of the day here, that mystery chart. We'll debate it in our next call of the day segment. Halftime is back after this.
3: Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more.
7: Welcome back to Halftime. I'm Contessa Brewer. Here's your CNBC News update. That wildfire that leveled the historic Hawaiian town of Lahaina is now about 80 percent contained, according to authorities. And firefighters, were told, are making progress against two other major fires on Maui. But the devastation is widespread. Hawaiian Governor Josh Green says it is the state's largest natural disaster ever. He spoke this morning with President Biden about Hawaii's immediate needs, Officials report at least 55 people have died and the damage they predict will take years to repair and cost billions. Attorney General Merrick Garland just announced minutes ago he's appointing a special counsel in the Hunter Biden investigation. David Weiss, the U.S. attorney who had already been running the investigation, will assume that role. The Attorney General says Weiss asked earlier this week for that change. And Russia launched its first moon landing spacecraft in nearly 50 years. If its mission is successful, Russia would be the first country to land on the lunar South Pole, an area believed to hold pockets of water. The lander is expected to touch down in 10 days. We'll be keeping our eye on that, Dom.
2: All right, Contessa Brewer with the news update. Thank you very much. Now let's talk about the energy trade. Wells Fargo making a bullish call on Chevron, saying shares have 30% upside from here. It is our call of the day, and Bill, you actually own Chevron.
1: Yeah, it's right outside our top five. Um, if, if you take a look at the resource life of, of, these, of these wells that are out there, for the last decade, because of underinvestment, they've halved. And you know what? The, the world is demanding more and more oil as time goes. So I, I love that Chevron is in a great position right here. But the company had a, had a solid earnings report outside the fact that oil prices were lower in the prior quarter. But I think oil prices will be higher. So I think that's going to be a tailwind. Um, we, we increased Chevron recently. It's right outside our top five. We, we, we increased Pioneer Natural Resources, which I think has a terrific spot with low Cost Permian assets because you're seeing Permian being being a real real uh, place where the, that production's picking up.
2: Steve, I mean, is is the oil and gas complex something that you're even contemplating right now? If so, why?
3: If not, why not? So I do contemplate it all the time. Uh, it's just not a sector that I, I think is uh, is prone to solid analysis. Right? You've got a couple of outsized parties, which are OPEC and OPEC Plus, that you know, really drive it, and it's by their whim. Do they cheat? Do they not cheat? What's demand? Is China going to open is it not going to open? So I prefer to play where there's sustainable um, demand that's actually growing, and that's in Freeport. So I I think energy is always a trade. I don't view it as a long-term investment. I think the stock charts really bear that out. And and
2: Shannon, I'd like to get your thoughts here. Do you feel as though it's attractive, energy, or not attractive at these levels?
5: Well, we're still, you know, we're still posting in the sector, Dom, negative year-over-year earnings for the sector. Um, I think that the thing that to, to remember is again, we t- I touched on it earlier, but this undersupply of the market. We actually got a little bit more supply this year than we were anticipating if you cobbled together um, from all of the different sources, and that was primarily from non-OPEC plus members that we saw a little bit more supply onto the market that next year could come down a bit. And so our team has taken a look at this and they have indicated that we could see lower supply in 2024, particularly here in the United States, in terms of our supply into the market. And so if you base your expectations for energy stocks on energy prices, which have very strongly correlated over time, um, then that undersupply could create an opportunity next year, particularly if economic growth continues to point to a a stronger outcome next year than was than was expected um, in the last couple of months.
2: All right, so that is our call of the day on energy. Straight ahead, we will hit our chart of the day, which is the one sector notching its largest weekly inflows, fund flows since April. So how the committee is positioned for that sector coming up next on The half.
8: B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain.
2: Welcome back to the Halftime Report. Healthcare is just one of two sectors leading the S&P this month. And check out our chart of the day, which is Bank of America's Michael Hartnett pointing out that healthcare saw the largest inflows since April. Carrie, you have some exposure here and you've also had a career in picking healthcare names. Take us through what the thought process is on the sector.
4: Well, I think the inflows into healthcare are attributed almost 100% to the new diet drugs like Ozempic and Wagovi. I mean if you look at the charts of Novo Nordisk and Lilly, both of whom participate in this field, and they've just announced that if you're on these pills that your risk of some type of heart event goes down, which makes sense because you're eating less food and less fat, but that affect your heart. But those stocks have been unbelievable because these are blockbuster drugs. This is the AI equivalent in healthcare. Now, you have participation across the sector. We don't own these two stocks, but we do own companies that provide tools and instrumentation to biotechnology and to pharmaceuticals that are developing these these drugs. So Thermo Fisch, for example, Thiamo, which is a name that we've owned for a long time, it's been a very good stock, and then it's been it's suffering. That's
2: okay. So I think we just lost Carrie for a second here. Uh, Bill, Bill, if we take a look at the way that these inflows have shaped up, I mean inflows are a sentiment gauge, if you will, yeah. okay? And kind of where the rubber meets the road. If people feel as though, hey, I want in, they give their mutual fund money or their ETF money to a ETF or a manager and say, hey, buy these stocks. It could be one of those things where, is this the early stage of that kind of boom towards healthcare? Or do we think this is something that's short-lived and that we kind of move on after a bit?
1: I'm preparing as if it is gonna be a little bit lasting. And um, that's within our rotation, we taken some money out of tech, obviously, and put it into some of these names. We added Amgen, which, which had uh, a terrific earnings report. Uh, AV is in our top five. We own Thermo Fisher, United Healthcare. We own a bunch of these names. And, and I think we're going to see that this ball continue to roll, at least the second half of the year. And, and it really comes back to the theme I mentioned earlier. If tech's not going to be up 40% or 50% in the second half of the year, where are you going to get out performance? And I think healthcare is going through a really nice, what I call an accumulation, you know, where, where, where the sort of just bottoms out, it's no like, knee jerks, fallouts, or any and it just bottoms out really nice it had a great year last year and and it's always like
2: what have you done for me lately people forget about it so Steve healthcare encompasses a lot of different parts and and there's the drug companies you tend not to go towards as much the drug companies though as much as towards uh, some of the insurance side of things can you take us through why
3: yeah uh, because I think they're more stable more predictable earnings and by the way you know a lot cheaper so I'm still benefiting so you know if you take a look at the obesity in the country, right? 41.7 percent of the people in the U.S. are obese. So yes, you've got a lot of take-up on the drugs. But most of those people are insured. So what does it do if you're insured? If diabetes incidents go down, if cardiac incidents go down, they even say if your dementia affects, you know, can help dementia get started. So if you take a lot of those risks out of the system, the care of doing that now it's preventative. What are you gonna do? You can have fatter margins in healthcare. And then I also think there's productivity like you, right? Now you're able to get closer to the desk. So you're making fewer mistakes on your keyboard. But, but seriously, it, the healthcare, the insurers will benefit as much if not more than the drug companies because eventually they'll be uh, generics on it. And it's becoming a very competitive space, right? First one company, now two, now three. So it's a lot different. So that's why I like the, the healthcare companies Take a look at Humana. It's gone from 420 to 500 in the last month or so. United Health, great setup as well in their quarter. They manage them well. As insurance companies, there's not a lot of variability in their earnings. So to me, they're still very cheap. I still like them. My biggest position combined, both of them, so. All right, Humana, United Health. a call out of Weiss there.
2: Coming up on the show, retail is a big theme for earnings next week. Courtney Reagan is here to give us the setup and the committee will debate their strategies on the consumer. Halftime is back after this. back on the halftime report retail is in focus next week as we gear up for a lot of earnings reports our courtney reagan joins us now with that setup for retail courtney
0: Hey, Dom. So we've got two Dow components, discounters and and several others that are reporting results next week. And while the consumer has proven pretty resilient in the face of persistent inflation, worry looms that there's a breaking point coming. And investors want to know if maybe it's already here now. So Walmart is getting two price target upgrades today, while the street has gotten increasingly concerned about Target's performance on the flip side. So why? Well, one reason is if consumers are continuing to buy less discretionary categories or more discretionary categories, I should say, less of them like clothing and electronics and then more groceries, that trade favors Walmart over Target. Now, Home Depot is forecasting a year of moderation, but investors might be expecting a little more. Shares actually double the XRT since it last reported. And if consumers are indeed worried about a recession, will TJX and Ross stores potentially see a boost? we got to wait and see. Dom?
2: All right. So, Courtney, one last thing before we let you go. What's the biggest report you're watching next week?
0: it's gotta be Walmart. I mean, Walmart is obviously one that the street always watches to see what's going on with the consumer. They have a really nice cross section. They also, of course, have their Sam's Club business, which also tells us about an entirely different kind of consumer and helps us see a little bit about what might be going on at Costco. So I think that there's just so many different details that you can pull out of that report. And it often just sort of helps us to understand what might be coming from other retailers going down the line.
2: All right, Courtney Reagan with the setup there. Thank you very much. We'll see you all next week. Kerry, now you own Home Depot. Bank of America's bullish on it ahead of those results coming up next week, saying that time is to see those trends improve. The time to buy is right now as things start to trough and get better. Do you agree with that call?
4: Yeah, we definitely do agree with that the stock obviously suffered when people stopped spending money on building a new deck on their house which they did during COVID, and started to go to concerts but that's now passed over the last year and a half and they're doing a little bit of both they're going to concerts but they're also starting to spend money on goods and we're seeing that um, across the board we haven't heard from home depot yet but the stock is up About 17% since the middle of May, and the market's up 5.5%, the S&P, because investors are anticipating that we'll hear something positive. The number may not be great, but the trends may be very good and indicate that consumers are once again shopping at Home Depot, pros are using the business. Uh, We think the product categories uh, are great, and some of the commodity prices have come down, and that would be great for the next few quarters.
2: All right, so Shannon, what is, uh, Courtney alluded to the rethrow on the consumer. What do you think we get in terms of consumer commentary next week?
5: Well, not only do we have all of these retailers reporting, but we've got retail sales too, Dom. So I think we do get a read, number one, um, perhaps in the earnings to some extent about the relative strength of the consumer and where they're continuing to spend. Um, I think, again, uh, Courtney mentioned it, you know, middle of the store spending, which tends to be more discretionary categories and frankly, affords better margins and perhaps more pricing power for these um, entities. You know, that's probably going to continue to come down a little bit. Um, The other thing to look at Dom, is if we look at the inflation report that we saw yesterday, uh, we, um, we in t- experienced an increase in food at home and energy prices. And so both of those categories tend to take away from discretionary spend at big, bo- big box retailers. So commentary on that will be important. And then the last thing is theft. Um, you know, we've heard a lot about shrink over the last 18 months or so. Uh, that is very difficult for analysts to quantify in terms of is that going to accelerate and what are going to be the mitigants for that on a go forward basis. And I think that's important when, again, we're looking at margins for these big box retailers.
2: All right. That was the call on the consumer. They're straight ahead on the show. We've got the China trade as President Biden calls its economic situation a quote unquote ticking time bomb. Committee's take and reaction on how you should be positioned for that China trade coming up next on the half. Welcome back to the halftime report. The war of words between the U.S. and China heating up again as President Biden calls China's economy a, quote, ticking time bomb. He made those comments during a fundraiser last night in Utah. It's just the latest dig aimed at Beijing. Earlier this week, the president rolled out an executive order banning certain U.S. technology investments in China. Weiss, all of this comes as you get increasingly bullish on Chinese stocks. You have Relatively new positions in Alibaba and Baidu as well. Can you kind of, I mean, Alibaba, we did talk about it earlier
3: this week. Yes, we after did. After earnings. Yes. You were not here for it. No, I wasn't. But we did. Don't a, say anything to somebody behind their back you wouldn't say in person, Don. Well, so I mean, tell that mi- to my colleagues. Millions of people are watching. Yes. So when, when, when those comments come out, they do hear them. Yes, they do. All right. Uh, look, Biden was at a fundraiser. And as part of your platform, and you'll see with Trump, you'll see with he You want to be tough on China. But really, he, you know, the, new, the, the news is not reporting that. He also said, I don't want to hurt China. So when he talks tough, when he uh, issues an executive order, what does China do? They rattle the saber on Taiwan. But when you get through the noise, if you want to trade the noise, headlines. That's one thing. But if you want to look at the fundamentals and what China has to do have to stimulate the economy. It's now, scary. Baba's doing quite well without stimulation, right? They're going to break things apart. They had a great report. You know, um, unbelievable growth, 60 percent growth. So I think that continues. Baidu, until their reports can be a bit more challenging. Baidu's now at a price that I think is extremely cheap, not as cheap as Baba, but it doesn't have the same catalyst either.
2: All right. There's the China trade there from Steve Weiss. Coming up on the show here, we do have final trades ahead on Halftime Report. So keep it right here. We'll talk more stocks right after this commercial break. Welcome back to The Half breaking news. Just moments ago, right here in New York City, what you're seeing are images of Sam Bankman fried SBF arriving at the courthouse right here in New York City. Uh, we'll keep you posted on any new developments there, but we are seeing video just moments ago of that happening. So we'll keep an eye on the crypto space and everything else. Time now for final trades. Carrie Firestone, we'll start with you.
4: Making it short, spending, traveling, higher interest rates are good.
2: All right, that's American Express. American Bill Express. Baruch. Pioneer Natural Resources for the
1: third week in a row. I spoke about Resource Life. They have done a great job at extending resource life. Pioneer
3: Natural Resources. In oil and gas, and Steve Weiss. United Health, I'm sticking with it. I have no idea where the 50-day moving average is on this stock, but I like the fundamentals consolidating here. I see what you did there.
2: All right, so that's the call out there. American Express Pioneer and also what's happening here with United Health. Keep it right here. The Dow Industrial is losing some steam. The Halftime Report wishes you a nice weekend. The Exchange with Kelly Evans starts right now.
3: You've been listening to
1: CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.